True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. Built in 1857, the Whaley House Museum in Old Town, San Diego, holds notable local historic significance. In addition to being the Whaley family home, it also housed the San Diego Country Courthouse, San Diego's first commercial theatre, and a school, amongst other things. However, the building's tragic history, which includes the hanging of Yankee Jim on the location where the house was built, and the suicide of Violet Whaley inside the residence, has surrounded the property with an air of mystery ever since. According to the Travel Channel's America's Most Haunted, the property is the most haunted house in the United States. Visitors have reported supernatural encounters like hearing footsteps, capturing unexpected images and photos, and seeing apparitions of former residents, including Thomas Whaley himself. Hi, my name is Anne And I'm Renata. And we welcome you to this episode of the True Hauntings podcast as we delve in to the Whaley House in San Diego, USA. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. And hello, 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 Miss Anne. How many days are we out from our journey? It is 10 days today. <sighs> that we, And I was very pleased to hear Chillingham Castle came out today and I had got the dates right, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you now, the next couple I get wrong because mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot we slipped in an episode. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I've got out, but we, we eventually catch back up again. So uh, we'll, we'll be fine by the time. I'm not even going to say when this one's coming out just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. But we'll be just about coming home. I, yep. I do know that. And we, yep. look, guys, we have been struggling to get these episodes pre-recorded. So if one disappears towards the start of May uh, or very late April, don't panic. We're coming back. We just have run out of time to do pre-records because at this stage we really need to do, after this one, another two in the next 10 days before we fly out. We've been filming with Isaac Butterfield and we've been doing all sorts. I've had a tooth infection, Mm. which has really knocked me about. We've had 15-hour days, consecutive 15-hour days. Yeah. We have. And it's, it's yeah, it's taking its toll now. Poor little old bodies. <laughs> oh, they're very old and the granny, fail. The granny bodies are starting to fail. Oh, now she's going to own the granny bodies. <laughs> that's right. When it suits her. I've got to milk it. I've got to milk it forever I can. Yeah, that's right. I know. I'll have to pull the old lady card again when we go travelling. And when they put us on the, the, like, the fifth floor and there's no freaking staircases, we go, oh, but we're very old, you know. <laughs> we can't got, walk that I've, far. I've, I've got bad knees. I've got bad Onions. Yeah. I've got gout. I've, I've got, got I've got toenails. <laughs> I've got I've got hair on said toenails. Please give us a break. <laughs> oh, but I've got the bag out. And I've started popping things into the bag. <laughs> I was wondering what bag you're talking about. My anyway. big suitcase. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've been on Amazon and I'm buying shit. Let's go and see you. <laughs> yes, I am. I've, you wait till you see the nice eye mask I've got. You are going to be so jealous. <laughs> oh, it's always the same case that when you're going, well, for me anyway, when I'm going overseas, um, I, I suddenly realise I don't have any underwear. <laughs> Oh, I don't have great. anything. Great, says me oh, that has to God. share the room with us. <laughs> I'd better go and buy another 
couple of pairs of undies. And and get your knickers sorted. <laughs> I, I did that actually. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I got online and ordered my fame, my my fabulous Kmart undies that I absolutely love to death, and I um, made sure that I got the sizes I want, and I had mm. them freighted to me, mm. living my first class lifestyle. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Kmart's just, like Walmart for mm. all those people that are over in America it or just, the USA. It oh, must, must make you feel so so effluent. I do feel so effluent. You've got no idea. I just sit in my effluence all day. <laughs> oh, we didn't yeah. get very far into the story. We were already cracking jokes. No. Yeah, we never mean to. We, we actually sit down here with all seriousness of, of delivering a, a story. And I, I'm having trouble speaking today because my... my jaw is a bit swollen um and then it just descends into chaos every time <laughs> oh because you know who's going to listen to a boring podcast well there's like, people that do <laughs> <laughs> and then they find ours yes, they go, oh my god <laughs> you girls talk about weird things yes yes, yes. yes. That's Our what <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about, weird stuff. And look, you know, we are going to raise some eyebrows over the next couple of episodes. Oh, speaking of which, I've had my eyebrows done ready for the trip too. Sorry. Oh. You didn't even notice. No, I didn't. <laughs> but now that I'm looking, um, yes, we are. We'll, we will be raising a few eyebrows over the next couple of episodes because there are a few a few holy grails that we, we scratch at. Oh, Okay. I must not have got that list. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one scratching at them. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, keep keep an ear out for the next few weeks because there will be some um, saintly people that we sort of talk about. Oh, yes, right. It's pre- they're already recorded. Yes. See, by the time yes. they listened to this, they would have heard those ones. That's what I was confused about. Right. Okay. <laughs> we're in a time machine, Renata. <laughs> We recorded that one last week, remember? Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> this is why I'm going to England oh. with it to supervise. <laughs> how many how many of these have we done over the last I don't few weeks? No, there's dribble coming out of my ears at this stage. We must be up to about our, our eighth pre record. Yeah. It, it feels like it. Anyway, let's get on with the story. Gotta get two more done before we go. Oh, here we go. I first heard about the ghosts of San Diego's Whaley House through an article in Cosmic Star, Merle Gould's psychic newspaper back in 1963. The account was not too specific about the people who had experienced something unusual at the house, but it did mention mysterious footsteps, cold draughts, unseen presences staring over one's shoulder, and the scent of perfume where no such odour could logically be, the gamut of uncanny phenomena, in short. My appetite was whetted. Evidently, the curators, Mr. and Mrs. James Redding, were making some alterations in the building when the haunting began. I marked the case as a possibility when in the area and turned to other matters. Then, fate took a hand in bringing me closer to San Diego. It appeared on Regis Philbin's network television show and a close friendship had developed between us. When Regis moved to San Diego and started his own program there, he asked me to be his guest. We had already talked of a house he knew in San Diego that he wanted me to investigate with him. It turned out to be the same Whaley house. Finally, we agreed on June 25th as the night we would go to the haunted house and film a trance session with Sybil Leake then talk about it the following day on Regis's show. When it became apparent that a thorough investigation of the haunting would be made and that all of San Diego would be able to learn of it through television and newspapers, excitement mounted to a high pitch. Mrs. Redding kept in close touch with Regis Philbin and me because ghosts have a way of sensing an impending attempt to oust them, and this was not long in coming. On May 24th, the activities inside the house had already increased to a marked degree. They were of the same general nature as previously noted sounds. Was the ghost getting restless? 
I asked Mrs Reading to prepare an exact account of all occurrences within the house from the first moment on and to assemble as many of the witnesses as possible for further interrogation. Most of these people had worked part-time as guides in the house during the five years since its restoration. The phenomena thus far had occurred, or at any rate had been observed, mainly between 10am and 5.30pm when the house closes to visitors. There is no one there at night, but an effective burglar alarm is in operation to prevent flesh and blood intruders from breaking in unnoticed. Ineffective with the ghostly kind, as we were soon to learn. And I have to attest to the fact that uh, through our experiences, we have found the same thing, that the moment you're going to go and do an investigation, it's like there's been a mental telepathic connection to the spirits of a particular house and they go, okay, time for us to leave for the evening. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get nothing. Yep. But they'll kick up holy hell before we arrive. Mm -hmm. And the same when we go. Yep. Yep. So we have been in the car traveling away from an investigation and the owners will ring up and say, you should see what's going on right now. Yep. And as soon as they get a camera out to film it, stops. Yes. (laughs) Stops. Sneaky buggers that they are. (sighs) Shows intelligence though, doesn't it? It does. It does. I have to tell you where that came from today. Mm -hmm. That came from the biggest book I've ever seen called Ghosts, True Encounters with the World Beyond – by Hans Holzer. Mm. So he has investigated this case. And what made me even more excited is that Dave Schrader and his team went and investigated there as well. Mm, from the Holzer files. Yeah, yeah, the Holzer files. So I am basing a lot of my information today on uh, what has come from Hans's um, investigation. Yeah, and it's tiny. That's the smallest writing I've ever seen. And this, this <laughs> thing is like oh. two inches. Yeah. No, actually, probably probably three inches thick it's it's a tomb a yeah, tome a tome and a he's tomb. got a, an exact same replica copy in thickness of a book on witches yes and i've got that over there yeah, as well yeah but uh, it's got a lot of his case studies in it, and he's very meticulous. I'm quite mm. impressed. Mm. And um, he was saying there that he got uh, them to start diarising what was happening, and I was reading through all the accounts, and wow. Mm. Anyway, I've, I've picked out a couple for us to, to go through. But Renata, let's learn a little about the Whaley House history. Yes, and uh, I started to search for Thomas Whaley and um, any information on the Whaley family because I wanted to know who these people were. And really, I didn't find very much at all, uh, not much information on the family itself. But I, I will talk about what I know. So Thomas Whaley was of Scotch-Irish descent and he was born in October um, in 1823 in New York City. And that's the best month to be born in, isn't it, Renata? It is, it is. He was a lovely Libran and he was the seventh child of a family of ten. So he took over his father's successful business uh, and left New York on January the 1st, 1849 and travelled to San Francisco during the gold rush time where he ran some successful businesses for a while and started to make, up, um, make some money before he went to San Diego in September 1851. Now, he did a scout around in San Diego. So I, I do think that he was sort of planning to make a move somewhere else, somewhere better. And he had a bit of a look around at that stage, uh, but he didn't move then. He actually moved two years later and he went back to New York and he married his sweetheart, Anna Eloise Delaunay, Delaunay on August the 14th, 1853. And together they returned to California and they arrived in San Diego on December the 7th, 1853. And you've not been to America yet, no, have you? No, no. Old Town San Diego is awesome. I just have to say that. Sorry, keep going. Now, two years later, he bought land where there had once been a graveyard and where James... Wait, Yang- wait. Once been a graveyard. Once been a graveyard. Or fill the poltergeist mm-hmm. moment coming on. And where a chap by the name of James Yankee Jim Robinson had been hanged for stealing a boat. 
And he, this is where he decided to construct his family home. And it would be the first brick building in California. Now, interesting why he would choose this spot. Uh, maybe it was cheap. Maybe Because it was, it was the old gallows site. And I also read in other uh, pieces of information that he, two years prior when he went scouting out the area, actually stood and watched Yankee Jim be hanged. And it was a horrific hanging too, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. So this this guy, Yankee Jim, uh, was involved in uh, an, a number of altercations around the area. So he kind of had a bit of a, a rap sheet mm. of things that he had done. But it's kind of believed that really this thing that he was now being hanged for really shouldn't have ended up being a hanging. Yeah. It really shouldn't have. Or that he didn't do it at all. Yes. Yeah. And so they delivered him on this cart and they you know, put the rope up on the gallows and everything. And he was a rather tall man. And so when they strung the uh, rope around his neck and tried to hang him, yeah. he could actually stand on his tiptoes. Yeah, most people were around the, the height of five foot three to five foot five, and he was unusual. Mm. He was six foot something. So he could, he could stand on his tiptoes and he tried to save himself for as long as he possibly could. And this annoyed everyone because they actually had it out for him. So for some odd reason, yet again, there always seems to be someone who is victimized by a community. And maybe back then San Diego wasn't too big um, or it was a small part of the community that had issues with people who had been stealing things. Uh, and they decided that Yankee Jim would be the one that they would get their anger out on. But this kind of drew a really big crowd and they they in a way cajoled, cajoled him on in this 45-minute segment of him hanging from a rope on his tiptoes with his hands uh, bound behind his back, trying to save his life and yeah, telling horrific. everyone that he was innocent. And Wiley was standing there all the time watching. So this is really weird. Yeah. Really weird. And that's why I tried to go back and find out more about this fellow. You know, did he have some sort of a, a, a terrible background or, or was he mistreated as a child or what, whatever it was? I couldn't find anything. So, you know, maybe there is someone who can fill us in on um, Thomas Whaley and tell us more. But when eventually the house was built uh, and uh, he moved in with his children, he said that it was the finest residential building in Southern California, and that's what he intended to do. He he was saying, "I'm going to build this. I'm going to build this thing that everyone will know that it is my home, and uh, it's going to be an outstanding residence." And in 1857, after a few months uh, of moving in, they actually opened a general store inside the mansion. And the things they had inside this mansion were a bit weird. Like this is a residential home, mm -hmm. and yet he had a store, and he had a courthouse, and he had a theatre in there. Yeah, it had a few incarnations. I don't think it was a theatre for a terrible lo long time, but they they did have a few incarnations within the building. Yes. Yes, so he, um, yeah, I think it was a theatre for about six months. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to go back to Thomas Wiley just for a minute. Um, he made his way to California in 1849 after the gold was discovered. But, of course, he didn't want to get his hands dirty and he didn't want to pan for gold. Uh, but he set up a shop with another gentleman called George Wardle catering for uh, the miners that were working. And, I mean, that's a really smart thing to do because you've got an influx of people coming into a site and they all require goods and services. Mm, it's gold in a different way. Yeah, so he's decided to get in there and to help these people. But there was an arson that occurred. I thought you were say there was an arsehole. <laughs> well, there was. There was an arsehole um, that created an arson fire on the site and it destroyed the businesses. The business that so they had. someone sabotaged him. Someone sabotaged him. So Ooh. once again, what is wrong with this person? Yeah. What's what's the story? And this is intriguing to me, and I, uh, I don't might, know the answer. It might not have been Whaley. It might have been the other dude. It could have been. So Whaley ended up relocating to San Diego, and um, 
he, of course, stopped uh, the the partnership with George Wardle. We don't hear too much about Wardle from that point on. Um, and he had a, a number of a, a variety of different business ventures, but he uh, moved to New York to marry Anna Eloise, and the couple did go to San Diego, uh, and Whaley purchased his former gallows grounds where he witnessed Yankee Jim's execution. And he built a single-storey granary connected to a larger two-storey home, and he operated his general store from there. Now, by 1857, his store outgrew the modest home uh, room of his home and he moved his business to the centre of town, which is now Old Town San Diego, which you keep on telling me is yeah. the most beautiful place and I need to go and visit. You do. There's <laughs> lots of shops and crystals are so cheap oh, there. Oh, really? <gasps> so dirty. Oh, see, cheap. now you've said the golden word. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Was it crystals or shopping? <laughs> or both. Yeah, and food. Oh, good food. Now, as you remember, Thomas was the seventh child of oh, 10 children or something mm-hmm. or other. He managed to have a few of his own. He had six, six children. So we had Francis Hinton, uh, Thomas Whaley Jr., Anna Amelia, George Hay Ringgold. What sort of name is that? Violet Eloise and Corinne Lillian. Now, Francis, oh, I like the last one. Yeah, Corinne Lillian. Isn't that beautiful? Rolls off the tongue nicely. Now, Francis Hinton was named uh, after a business partner. And Thomas Whaley Jr., obviously not the not the other guy that he was with. Um, who no, was Wardle. He? Wardle, yeah, not him. Um, and Thomas Whaley Jr. suffered from scarlet fever at 18 months and <gasps> died. Oh, Baba. Yeah, in 1858. Oh, how sad. So after the death... Oh, yeah, it was said with such... Oh, how sad. Next. <laughs> Cow! <laughs> That was a bit rough, Renata. I think you care for the baby lambs more than you care for poor baby Thomas. I didn't mean mean to do that. Oh, hold on. Let let me rewind. Rewind. (laughs) That's even worse. Can we do... Thomas Wiley Jr. turkey noises. Thomas Wiley Jr. suffered from scarlet fever at eight months and died oh. on January 1858. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, I'm still oh. not feeling it, but keep going. <laughs> oh, dear. After the death of baby Thomas and the loss of fire um, of their store, Thomas and Anna moved to San Francisco. And Wiley turned his affairs to the old town of San Diego. And uh, in 1868, he invested some of his new capital um, of stock and merchandise and headed back to San Diego. So he travelled around to probably see where the best opportunities were for the family and how to garner uh, the most money. So mm-hmm. he kind of travelled around a bit. Sounds is, like he's a clever man. Yeah, quite interesting. So Thomas fixed up the old Whaley house and Anna and the rest of the family uh, moved back and um, there they settled. So sorry hitting you with all of these dates. It can get a little bit confusing, but, you know. I, I must admit I was getting discombobulated. Yeah, in one ear and out the other when it, when it comes to numbers for That's me. That's why you so. quite often see me walking around with one finger in my ear. Mm. It stops it going out the <laughs> other ear. <laughs> Very good. Boom-tish. Yes. So Violet Eloise, which is one of the children, obviously, uh, and Anna Amelia Whaley were both married in San Diego. Violet married George T. Bertolacci. And Anna Amelia wed her first cousin. Ew. John T. Whaley. (laughs) Isn't that illegal? John T. Whaley. Well, at least she didn't have to change her last name. Oh, my God. They've even got the same last name. That's really really wrong. Oh, dear. A son of Henry Hurst Whaley inside the family home. So maybe it was one of those shotgun weddings that had to happen. You mean the cousins have been at it? Oh. Ding, 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 ding. I just had to keep going because she's lost it. And I know how much everyone loves a wheeze. So I've got to give her a good wheeze. Uh, so, um, oh, that's, that's a bit... Oh, look, it could have been true love. They could have really, really fallen for each other. 
Yeah. <laughs> in a really different time. In a really weird way. <laughs> so that's like oh my God. a brother and sister's children marrying. Am I right? I don't know. It's very confusing. Anyway. <clears throat> Unfortunately for Violet, just after the nuptials, um, her new husband revealed to her in a letter his sordid past. Oh, do we so, have a wandering Willie? Most possibly. So Bertolacci vowed to prove his worthiness, but Mr. and Mrs. Whaley would try to sever all contact. So oh. I, I dare say he did have a very sordid past. Oh, he might have had a chocolate coated banana. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> It might not have been a wandering willy for the ladies. It might have been a wandering willy for the men. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I am... Just when I think... Just when I think we're going to do a normal episode, I open my mouth. I thought there's no way <laughs> this is going to be funny. There's no, no part of this that is going to be funny whatsoever. Yeah, just remember I'm in the room <laughs> oh my. with the grottiest mind ever. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, I'll have chocolate go to bananas again. Oh, and we're just, we can, no, this is a really sad bit. I'm oh sorry. God. Okay, sorry, let, let's be. Let me compose I'm, I'm myself. Very sad now. Oh, okay, I'm ready. I'm putting on my professional actor's hat. Okay, so Violet actually committed suicide by shooting herself in the chest with um, a pistol <coughs> in 1885. So this is the one that married the cousin? Yeah, no, this is the, the one, that, one that married, married Bertolacci. Right. Uh, and he had the sordid affair. <clears throat> and she was only 22 years old, God oh. bless her soul. So she was so, an old married dowager, not what do they call them, you know. She, oh, I can't even put words together anymore. Um, 22, marriage has failed. Yeah. There is nothing left for her because yeah. that's old. Yeah, and look, in a funny way, and it's not funny at all, you may be right because whatever happened to this man was so outstandingly terrible that she felt that she lived in shame, that this oh. would be a shameful life for her. Um, and possibly that is why she, she took her life. But she wrote a suicide note, and uh, and this is what it says. Now, guys, only- if this triggers you, just I'd suggest you just pop off there for a little bit and come back. Yeah. Um, mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. How sad is that? Um, So the suicide note is a passage from Bridge of Sighs, a poem by Thomas Hood. This particular poem is also offered up by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh As an example of painting with words, he spoke of it and it was referenced in his published works during his lectures. So Corinne Lillian was engaged at the time uh, of her sister's death, but her fiancé broke off the engagement due to the scandal it raised. (gasps) Freaking hell. So it's left the two of them. Destitute yeah. and oh, and no. just beyond salvation. Wow. Wow. So after these tragic events, Thomas Whaley built a single-storey frame home for his family um, at 933 State Street in downtown, downtown San Diego, and the family moved into the new res- residence, leaving the Whaley house vacant for almost two decades. Two decades? Two decades, 20 years. Wow. Wow. And, like, so there are a couple of things going on here. Um, number one, we don't know whether this uh, Bertolucci fellow... Um, had a chocolate-coated banana. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, whether he thought, well, um, I'm, I'm marrying into a family with money, so that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, all, all of this has really broken down the whole family and they've actually moved out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frances Whaley married Susan Murray, 
in California in 1888, um, and on December the 14th, 1890, Thomas Whaley died due to ill health at the State Street address. Anna Amelia Whaley died at Modesto, California in 1905. So meanwhile, the old Whaley house remained vacant and fell into disrepair, and we find that any vacant house loses its soul. Mm -hmm. You can actually drive past and see houses that have been left uh, vacant for a long time yeah. and they're just literally a shell of what they were. So in 1909, Francis Whaley undertook the restoration of the building and turned the home into a tourist attraction where he posted signs promoting it historically and entertained visitors with his guitar. Oh. Now, Anna Whaley, Thomas's widow... Corinne, Lillian, Francis and George all lived in the old Whaley house until 1912. So they all moved back. And in 1913, Anna died at 80 years of age. Oh, that's a good good span of life. Yep. Now, a year later, Francis Whaley died and George Whaley died in 1928 in San Diego. And Corinne, Lillian Whaley continued to live in the house until her death in 1953. Mm-hmm. So after this, the house... Um, became known as a haunted house. Uh, it said that guests and the staff um, who worked there from time to time because it was turned into a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit would, like Miss Porter's house, really. Yeah, would catch glimpses of uh, family members who would be wandering around the house and as if they were just back there living. Yeah. Continued living there. Residual. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting, really interesting. Um, the Whaley's house was known as the finest in Southern California. It was furnished with mahogany and rosewood furniture, Brussels carpets, damask drapes, um, and it was considered as a mansion for its time and place. Uh, it was a gathering place in San Diego and that is one of the reasons behind um, Thomas Whaley building the house he wanted everyone in San Diego to think of it as you know the best place in in the city um, it did have its first uh, San Diego had its first commercial theater in the house there was a country uh, courthouse there and of course the general store um, and I've got more information about the house itself, but I think we shall leave it there because we need to get on to the ghost stories. We do, we do. And um, I, you know, once again, it's a very well-known house for its hauntings. Many, many paranormal teams have been there. Many, many TV shows have been there more than once. Um, so what I've decided to do is give you an overview of the ghosts that are there mm-hmm. and then I want to dig into Hans Holtz's story because he has um, some really good stories he's collected and I find them fascinating mm-hmm. so I thought we'd uh, digest right right so first off um it's been certified by the US Department of Commerce as being genuinely haunted oh how the hell do you get that done that's that's interesting. Wow. To be able to say something is genuinely haunted. You get a stamp of approval. You've got a certificate. Well, that's that's a little bit wacky because if you kind of do that, then what you're saying is you have a government body that says ghosts exist. Yes. Okay. That, that, um, that throws like, things. Okay. Yeah, that throws things into the fire, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and there was a few other little points in the history that I, I uh, found there. In 1871, when Thomas was away on a business trip, a group of armed men held Anna Whaley at gunpoint and seized the courthouse records from her home. Mm. So that's interesting that they've stolen the records. Yes. So something. Needed to be covered up. Yes, they're cleaning something up. Uh, And as you said, um, it was built on an old cemetery because we always know that it's either got to be a cemetery or a a A massacre site or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've got several ghosts that are reported there. The first one is baby Thomas. Uh, He was the first one to pass away. He's never really left the house. Um, they hear tiny little footsteps around the house, sounds of him crying and even giggling when no one is in sight. Mm. 
Other reports seeing a young woman lingering on the second floor of the house, believed to be poor Violet, Mm -hmm. still consumed with sorrow. She seems to stay close to the second floor where she spent much of her time after her divorce before she took her own life. It says that areas within the house become quite cold and her presence is felt throughout. I've also heard reports of her being seen in the backyard crying. There was a police report in one of the articles I read where um, somebody had seen a lady that was crying on the back step and the, the policeman turned up and saw her sitting there crying and said, can I help you, ma'am? And when he sh- um, <clears throat> shone the flashlight there, mm-hmm. she disappeared. Mm-hmm. So that that's enough to make your hair stand on end. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I was just checking how um, how long they were married, and they were actually married for about uh, three years. Mm. So she was married when she was uh, nineteen. Oh, yeah, mm. it's it's very unheard of these days. Um, now the other spirits, Thomas and Anna, and several other spirits have also been felt within the home, on the stairwells, and on the property. Um, there was one uh, thing I watched on YouTube where they were walking up the stairs and said, you know, you may feel like you get to a certain part on the stairs and you can't walk any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Anna, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many have seen Thomas the baby dressed in a frock coat. No, that can't be right. Baby Thomas, this must be a different Thomas. Many have seen Thomas dressed in his frock, coat and top hat, hat standing at the top of the stairs. That must be... Um, old, old, old Thomas. Old Mr. Thomas. Mr. Thomas. <laughs> Thomas Senior. Yeah. I've, I've just had this vision of a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, mists, uh, lights turning on and off by themselves, crystals in the music room, lamps swinging without any prompting. There was dog and cat ghosts. Uh, workers on the site and guests who have toured the house tell accounts of many unusual and spooky encounters. Some say they've seen a figure looking out of the upstairs window mm-hmm. long after the house is closed for the day. Others have seen curtains move, even though all the windows in the house have been sealed shut. The sounds of children running up and down the stairs can be heard without anyone being seen. Um, but footsteps seems to be a big thing within the house as I go through some of the notes from Hans Holzer. Lots and lots of footsteps. So that to me is um, uh, sort of residual, mm-hmm. uh, the footsteps. Um, and also the appearance and disappearance of shadows have all been seen, felt and heard by guests. Now, there is something that Renata and I love to do. And that is... Seance work. Right. Now, uh, Hans Holzer uh, used to work with a very talented medium called Sybil. And uh, he did take her to the house. But remember I said that Hans had asked the people within the house to start documenting what was happening within the house. Well, there is one story here I'd like to relate to oh, you all. yes, please. I found a bit of table tipping. Yes, please. <gasps> Go ahead. Oh, okay. So um, this is about a part-time guy that was at the house, William Richardson, and they even put their address in there, which I find a little bit like, mm, I don't know about that. So they had experienced something out of the ordinary at the house, uh, and they had taken part in a kind of seance with interesting results. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the statement that was provided to Hans from September 1965, uh, and this was after the transition had taken place within the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is five years after the museum opened. It opened in May um, 1960. Hmm. Ah, okay. 65 was a good year, just let me say. Uh, All right, so let me read you the statement. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 1963, I worked in Whaley House as a guide. One morning before the house was open to the public, several of us employees were seated in the music room downstairs. And the sound of someone in heavy boots walking across the upstairs was heard by all. When we went to investigate the noise, we found all the windows locked and shuttered. The only door to the outside from upstairs was locked. 
This experience first sparked my interest in ghosts. I asked June Reading, the director at the time, to allow several of my friends from Starlight Opera, so there must be a bunch of either musicians or actors, singers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a local summer musical theatre to spend the night in the house. At midnight on Friday the 13th, uh, so Friday, August 13th, so it was a Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we met at the house. Carolyn White, a member of the parapsychology group in San Diego. So we're we're hoity-toity. We've got some decent people here. And a member of the Starlight Chorus. (laughs) Sorry. I I digress. (laughs) Gave an introductory talk on what to expect. And we all went into the parlour to wait for something to happen. The experience was that of a cool breeze blowing through the room, which was felt by several of us, despite the fact that all doors and windows were locked and shuttered. Mm. Mm. The next thing that happened was that a light appeared over a boy's head. This travelled from his head across the wall where it disappeared. Now, now, that's an orb. That's, that is what we call an orb. If they're all sitting there watching this light ball move with their own eyes. Yes, and I certainly believe in those. That, that sort of stuff I believe in. Yep. Uh, by the way, we have merch t-shirts available. Sorry, I'm late. Someone mentioned orbs. You can find that on uh, com yep. <laughs> shop. Uh, sorry. I digress yet again. As I said, I'm not well. I'm on antibiotics. Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth, as we've already heard. Um, so where are we up to? Ah, found it. Upon later investigation, it was found to have disappeared at the portrait of Thomas Whaley, the original owner of the house. Footsteps were also heard several times in the room upstairs. At this point, we broke into groups and dispersed to different parts of the house. One group went into the study, which is adjacent to the parlour, and there witnessed a shadow on the wall surrounded by a pale light, which moved up and down the wall and changed shape as it did so. Oh, isn't this fabulous? That's crazy. That's why I thought I just have to read some of these because mm. they're they're insane. There was no source of light into the room and one could pass in front of the shadow without disturbing it. So if you think of the light source casting the shadow mm. and they could walk it and would not disturb it. Mm-hmm. Um, another group was upstairs when their attention was directed simultaneously to the chandelier which began to swing around as if somewhere someone was holding the bottom and twisting the sides. Uh, the boy was tapped on the leg several times by some unseen force while seated there. Meanwhile, downstairs in the parlour, an old-fashioned lamp with prisms hanging on the edge began to act strangely. As we watched, several prisms began to swing by themselves. These would stop, others would start, but they never swung simultaneously. There was no breeze in the room. At this time, we all met in the courtroom. Carolyn then suggested that we try to lift the large table in the room. We sat around the table and placed our fingertips on it. A short while later, it began to creak and then slid across the floor approximately eight inches. Oh, ouch. And finally, completely off the floor on the corner where I was seated. Wow. Later on, we brought a small table from the music room into the courtroom and tried to get it to tip, which it did, mm-hmm. we, with just our fingertips on it. It tilted until it was approximately one inch from the floor and then fell. Oh, well, our tables go back down gently. <laughs> we righted the table and put our fingertips back on it and almost immediately began to rock. Since we knew the code for yes, no, and doubtful, we began to converse with the table. This sounds just like what we do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. Incidentally, while this was going on, a chain across the doorway in the courtroom was almost continuously swinging back and forth, then up and down. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Uh-huh. Throughout, sorry, through the system of knocking, we discovered that the ghost was that of a little girl, seven years old. She did not tell us her name, but she did tell us that she had red hair, freckles, and hazel eyes. She was also related... Uh, she also related that there was four other ghosts in the house beside herself, including that of a baby boy. Uh, <clears throat> but okay, remembering... So that's the little one that died at Yeah, baby months. Thomas. Yeah. 
Uh, so you can't help but wonder, were they front-loaded with that information that, you know, there's a, a baby that mm-hmm. died there? Who knows? But, I mean, it's it's very cool. Um, all right. We conversed with this, her spirit for nearly an hour. At one time, the table stopped rocking and started moving across the floor of the courtroom, into the dining room, through the pantry and into the kitchen. We've had that happen we've had that, we've had them chase Wayne. Yes, out of one house and yeah. into another. Yeah, Joanne's husband, it took a fancy to, to Wayne, <laughs> actually walked out of one room, down a step, across a courtyard, mm-hmm. upstairs, and then into a carpeted hallway mm-hmm. to get to where Wayne was. Yeah. That was that was hilarious that night. Uh, oh, okay, I'm lost again. Uh, let us. All oh, right, okay. This led us to believe that the kitchen was her usual abode. The table, um, hang on, then stopped, and several antique kitchen utensils on the wall began to swing violently. Incidentally, the kitchen utensils on a uh, swung for the rest of the evening at different intervals. The table then retraced its path back to the court- courtroom and answered more questions. Oh, wow. Oh, I love this table. At 5am, we decided to call it a night. A most interesting night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. When we arrived, our group had 15... Uh, had, hang on. When we arrived, our group of 15 had had in it a couple of real believers, several half believed, and quite a few who didn't believe at all. After the phenomena we had experienced, there was not one amongst us who was even doubtful mm. in belief of some form of existence of afterlife. Yeah, absolutely. And we've experienced that happen ourselves in our yep. seance parlour, yep. where people just come along because you know they, they want to bring an extra friend with them or something, and by the end of their they're, they're walking out with their jaw on the ground going, what just happened? Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to go for a little bit of a talk about Sybil Leak. Now, Sybil Leak is the uh, the medium, medium that uh, Hans works with. Yep. And she is pretty astounding. Mm-hmm. So these are once again Hans's word. Words. I've been so fascinated with all this additional testimony that I had let my attention wander away from my favourite medium, Sybil Leek. But now I started to look for her and found to my amazement that she had seated herself in one of the old chairs in what used to be the kitchen downstairs in the back of the living room. When I entered the room, she seemed deep in thought, although not entranced by any means. And yet... It took me a while to make her realise where we were. Had anything unusual transpired while I was in the courtroom interviewing? I was standing in the entrance hall looking at the postcard, Sybil recollected, when I just had to go to the kitchen. But I didn't go there at first, but went halfway up the stairs and a child came down the stairs and into the kitchen and I followed her. Hmm. Okay, so remember the table tipping story mm-hmm, we had before? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Hans said a child, and uh, I was quite sure there were no children amongst our party. I thought it was Regis's little girl, and the next thing I recall, I was in the rocking chair, and you were saying something to me. Needless to say, uh, Regis, uh, I hope I'm saying his name right, Regis Phil- Philbin's daughter mm-hmm. had not been on the stairs. I asked for a detailed description of the child. It was a long-haired girl. She was very quick, you know, in a longish dress. She went to the table in this room and I went to the chair. That's all I remember. So remember the other ones were saying that the table went out to the kitchen where she seemed to used to hang out. There's a great deal of confusion in this house, she began. Some of it is associated with another room upstairs which has been structurally altered. There are two centres of activity. Uh, now, they said that Sybil, of, of course, could not have known that the house consisted of two separate units because, remember, it was made up of... He did additions to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then he asked, any ghosts in the house? And she said several, uh, at least four. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of teeing up a little bit with... The seance session. The seance session. Um so he actually at this stage had not seen that seance report it arrived several months after their visit just to clarify that there was no contamination there Mm -hmm. Uh, so then he decided and I thought this was a really fascinating statement um, 
Poor Renata, she's tired. She's having a few yawns over there. <laughs> I'm putting her to sleep with my stories. Um, all right, so rather than allow Sybil to read our minds, they decided that they would do a seance. Now, this is one of the theories, isn't it? That um, it's not the dead that's talking to us. It's the fact that they can psychically pick up on ideas in our head. Yep. Or they could thought transference mm-hmm. or something like that. Right, then Sybil said, I have a date now, 1872. And at this stage, the uh, caretakers of the house exchange significant glances at each other mm-hmm. uh, because it was just after the great greatest bitterness of the struggle between the old town and the new town when the removal of the court records from the Whaley house by force occurred. So remember I said she was yes. held under gunpoint and uh, the records removed? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she said, there are two sides of the house. I like one side, but not the other. So I'm just loving all these little things that are lining connecting, up. connecting, yes. Yeah. So then she goes into a trance. Now, there are recordings of her being in trance, and mm-hmm. it's a very... Um, doesn't sound like her. <laughs> it's quite strange. Now, there are bits and pieces that she comes out with here that I'm going to relate back to another story. Mm-hmm. So I've got bits of the web that are coming together. So the first communicator was neither the little girl nor the man in the frock coat. A feeble, plenty voice was suddenly heard from Sybil's lips, quite unlike her own, a voice evidently parched for thirst. Bad. Fever. Everybody has the fever. What year is this? 46. Now, Hans suggested that the fever had passed and generally calmed the personality down, um, who did not respond to any further requests for identification. Send me some water. Sybil was still in the trance, but herself now. So she was asking, she needed water. So whatever that spirit was had affected her. Immediately, she complained about there being a lot of confusion. This isn't the room where we are needed. The child, she is the one. What is her name? Anna Bell. She died very suddenly with something when she was 13. Something to do with the chest. Are her parents here too? They come. The lady comes. What was this house used for? Trade. Selling things. Buying and selling. So remember, she doesn't know the history of this location, allegedly. Mm -hmm. Is there anything at all but... Hang on, let me just work out that. Sorry, I got my lines muddled up there. Right. Is there any anyone other than the child in this house? Child is the main one, but she doesn't understand anything at all. But there is something more vicious. Child would not hurt anyone. There's someone else. A man. He knows something about this house. About 32. Unusual name. C- Cal Calstrop, five five feet ten, wearing a green coat, darkish mustache and side whiskers. He goes up to the bedroom on the left. He has business here. His business is with things that come from the sea, but it is papers that worry him. What papers? I demanded. Not me. This is hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The papers, 1872, about the house. Dividing the house was wrong. Two owners, he says. What is the house being used for now in 1872? To live in two places. I get confused for one, for I go one place and then I have to go to another. Did this man you see die here? He died here, unhappy because of the place. About... Uh, the other place, two buildings. Some people quarrelled about the spot. He is laughing. He wants all this house for himself. Does he know he is dead? He is asking the question that often brings forth such resistance to the quest for facts uh, from those who cannot conceive of their status as ghosts. Sybil listened for a moment. He does as he wants in this house because he is going to live here. 
she finally said. It's his house. Why is he laughing? A laughing ghost indeed. He laughs because of people coming here thinking it's their house when he knows the truth. What is his name? I ask again. Cal... Calstrup. Very difficulties. He does not speak very clearly. He writes and writes. He makes a noise. He says he will make even more noise unless you go away. Let him, he said cheerfully, hoping he could uh, tape record the ghost outbursts. Tell him he has passed over and the matter is no longer important, I told Sybil. He is upstairs. Now, remember, they always hear footsteps and things going around upstairs. Yep. Uh, so there was nobody upstairs at the moment. Everybody was watching the proceedings in the courtroom downstairs. Um, so uh, what what does he want? He's just walking around. He can do as he likes, Sybil said. He does not like new things. He does not like any noise except when he makes it. Now, they've also heard organ being played in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're asking a question about the organ. Who plays the organ in the house? He says his mother plays. What is her name? Anne Lassay. No, that's wrong. It's Lan. Lan. He's speaking so badly. Lanay? His throat is bad or something? I was later able to check on the unusual name. Anna Lanay was Thomas Whaley's wife. L-A-N-N-A-Y. Now, you did you have a different name earlier on? Um, just let me check that oh, for you, a minute. You, no, you had Anna Eloise or something like that. I don't think you actually had her last name, did you? Mm, hold on. You, you have a look there, and I'm just going to keep going, yeah, ahead, keep going. ahead here. Um, so he didn't know any of that information at the time. He wasn't sure who that was. Um, he then asked how long ago they died. They said 89. He does not want to speak. He only wants to roam around. So Whaley died in 1890. So um, we're a little bit confused at what Anna, was happening. Yeah, Anna Eloise Delaunay. 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 Okay, so this is... Oh, I've got goosebumps. So did she bring her father with her? I'm not sure. So who is this man they're talking about? But didn't he bring all his family back into the house as well? In, you said they all came back to live there. So have they added on to the house? Um, and then there's these papers that this ghost is worried about. And then you've got um, Anna being held up and papers taken. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's some dirty big secret going on here. Yes. And I think this goes back to Thomas Whaley. Yeah, and he, it, it goes on, you know, he worries about the house. He wants the whole house for himself. He says he will leave them papers, hide the papers. He wants the other papers about the house. They're four miles from here. Several people have these papers and you have to get them back or you'll never settle, never. If he doesn't get back the whole house, he, it, um, he will be much worse and then the police will come. He will make the lights come and the noise and the bell make the police come and see him the master of the house the master that, that's got to be Thomas Whaley yep um, he's going to hear the bell upstairs he doesn't know what it is he goes upstairs opens the window wooden windows looks out then he pulls the no it's not a bell he'll do it again when he wants someone to know that he really is the master of the house people today come and say he is not but he is so it's sort of like whoever this person is they're stuck in this memory of of something that's happened Mm -hmm. and they're they're wanting to claim it back so what hans is trying to do is he tries to move this spirit on yeah um Anyway, they, they go on and then they talk about, what about the front door? If people come, he goes into the garden, walks around out there, and he meets mother there. What's in the kitchen? Child goes to the kitchen. I have to leave him. He doesn't want to be left. It's It was an injustice anyway. So this, this thing's still going on and on. The child is 12, chest trouble, something with the kitchen, a bad affair. Was it anyone's fault? No. Oh, sorry, Yes. Not chest. From the cupboard. Took something. It was like 
acid-like salt and she ate it. She did not know. There is something strange about this child. Someone had control of her, you see. She was in the family way. So she was in the way. Family. One girl. Those boys were not too good. The other boys who came down. She is like two people. Someone controlled her, made her do strange things, and then could she do that? It's just this is intriguing. Um, was she the daughter of the man? Strange man. He doesn't care so much about the girl as he does about the house. He is disturbed. Oh. Is there a woman in the house? Of course there is a woman in the garden. Who is she? Mother. Grandmother of the girl. So who is this girl? Is it one of the... Unless, she, unless she's talking about the one that's suicided. Yeah, and who's come back in a more childlike form rather than as an adult because she didn't like her, her life as an adult. She probably preferred it when she was younger. But, but she Sybil, shot herself. But also Sybil would have looked at an, um, a 22-year-old maybe as a young girl. Yeah. Whereas 100 years earlier, it, they would have been middle-aged. Yeah. So I don't know. They keep going. Okay, I, I hope you guys are enjoying this because I, I, I just found it fascinating myself, so that's why I thought I'd, I'd dig it out. Um, uh, is he aware of the fact he has no physical body? No. Doesn't he see all the people who come here? They have to be fought off and sent away. This is why the house is so active. Mm-hmm. Tell him it's now 70 years later. He says 70 years when the house was built. Another 70 years have gone by, I insisted. Only part of you is in the house. No, part of the house. You're making the mistake, he replied. I tried hard to convince him of the real circumstances. Finally, I assured him that the entire house was, in fact, his. Would that have helped him? He is vicious, Sybil said. He will have his revenge on the house. Then uh, Hans tried to explain to him that all his enemies are now dead. He doesn't need to, to guard his house anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says it was an injustice and the court was wrong. You have to tell everyone this is his house and land. I promised to do so and intoned the usual formula for the release of earthbound people who have passed over and don't realize it. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that was. It'd be nice to find that out. Um, yeah, so that that was the, the breakdown of her trance. Um, so then they go in to have a look about what the results were of what she was talking about. Uh, there was a litigation. The injustice could perhaps be referring to the county's occupancy of this portion of the house in 1869 to 71. Whaley's contract, which we have, shows that his portion of the house was leased to the country and he was to supply the furniture and set it up as a courtroom he also put in two windows to provide light it was a valid agreement they adhered to the contract as long as the court continued to function here but when alonzo horton came and developed new town a hot contest began between the two communities for the possession of the county county seat I nearly did a you. I nearly did a you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was country, you see. It was county. When the records were uh, forcibly removed from here, so is that when they took them? uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whaley felt it was quite an injustice. And we have the letters he addressed to the Board of Supervisors referring to the fact that his lease had been broken. The clerk notified him that they were no longer responsible for the use of the house and after all the work he had put into remodelling the house for its use, he would bring the matter up um, periodically with the Board of Supervisors. So in this is what the ghost is going on about, this injustice that had happened uh, and the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So it was Whaley that was that was left in there and who was angry. Uh, then they said something about, was there a child in the room upstairs? In the nursery, there were several children up there. One child died, but that was the boy. Um, but they're not sure who this girl was. Uh, in reference to Yankee Jim, uh, remember at the start of her trance, she was talking about fever? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So... When Yankee Jim was captured, he had fought a sabre duel and received a critical wound in the head. 
Although alive, he became delirious and was tried without representation. He's sick of the fever. So mm-hmm. he was in this fever and not of his right mind. Mm-hmm. Sentenced to death, he was subsequently hanged in the yard behind the courthouse. Um, so maybe that's who it was that reached out to her that had the fever. Now, I'm going to jump now to the present day with the Holzer files, mm-hmm. who yep. follow Hans Holzer's story and with the daughter as well. Uh, and uh, this is Dave Schrader, who we're very proud to say is a friend. Uh, so Dave said that things began to happen right away. Uh, after envisaging a pool of blood and other sensations, Kaza, the team psychic, uh, who knew nothing about the house in advance, uh, invited the spirits to channel their thoughts through her automatic writing tool. She immediately received an ominous warning and then Pittman's camera shut down. One of our com- uh, network executives was sitting outside watching a bank of computer screens and on and one of the light bulbs burst over her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very high intensity. This was a very profound experience for all of us. And then something happened to Dave that he's never had happen before. He said that uh, something made physical contact with him in a very dramatic way. Literally got knocked off his butt by someone in the Whaley house. Now, Dave is a very tall, solid man. He says he's six foot tall, 280 pound investigator. Uh, his fall pushed Pittman into the wall. At first, Schrader suspected a member of the film crew, but nobody else was around. So I'm a sceptical believer, and let me tell you, Dave is very logically minded. um, I have a lot of faith in Dave um, and can break things down logically. Uh, Really rattled me. He divulged upon examining records of their electronic equipment. They detected numerous sounds, footsteps, disembodied voices, and high energy levels. We uncovered another name with a unique history tied to the Whaleys as well. Cindy unleashed some knowledge and we were able to track it spot on and the Whaley house people revealed information that we had never known. There were handwritten letters by the Whaleys uh, talking about ghosts in the house. So the Whaleys themselves were talking about ghosts in the house. ghosts in the house. Wow. How fascinating is that? Wow, I wonder when the ghostings started. Yeah, how far? Once mm. again, remember, it was uh, built on a, a cemetery. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember in Old Town San Diego, just down the street, there is a cemetery where Yankee Jim is buried. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I didn't realise that story was there at the time. Wow. Wish I'd known. I never got inside the house. Uh, I went to Old Town San Diego twice, and that house always caught my eye, and I never knew why. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, hopefully one day we'll get an opportunity to go again, because yeah. this is fascinating, and I would love to go. Yeah. And so, to check it out. Renata? What do you reckon? Is this one haunted? How well, could be. Yeah, I reckon this one's sounding very promising because yes. Hans Holzer is not someone that um, was sensationalizing things. He was very logical about his method of writing things down. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I would, I'm would. i going to go for a yes, this one's haunted, but I want to see it for myself. Yes, yes, me too. And we're actually going to New Forest where uh, Sybil Leake uh, lived for a <gasps> while. Oh, Wow. That's cool. Yes, with the ponies. So there is there is a shop there um, that um, has some stuff, stuff about Sybil Lee. Did you say shop? Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. A shout out to Bonnie for editing and putting it together for Thank us. Thank you, Bonnie. Hope you're all enjoying our journey on YouTube. Anne and Renata. I think it's now called uh, Ghost Grannies, but if you just look up Anne and Renata, you'll find it there. Uh, but yeah. Until we hopefully get back for another two episodes. We will. We will. We will be back. Thank you, Darksiders. Thank you, Parastalkers, Grand Poobars, Paralurkers. Uh, we'll see you all on the dark side. And remember to stay spooky. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, 
TikTok and YouTube or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. 